Good morning. How's everybody doing? New place, but same opportunity to worship, right? Let's stand up. Let's sing out. Come on. There's joy here today. worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet, we shout out to praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet, we shout out to He hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is shining. joy here today we were the beggars and now we're royalty we were the prisoners and now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the lord sing praise come on let me hear you we were the beggars
right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Adam Juss. I serve as the adult ministries pastor here and uh, glad to be worshiping amongst you. Uh, do me a favor real, real quick. Uh, if you have empty seats next to you, quickly kind of raise your hand and uh, we have some other folks kind of coming in with big section up front here, uh, up over here. Basically, if you're coming in now, come to the front. Uh, no one will notice, but we're so glad you're here. For those of you that are worshiping with us online, uh, grateful to have you joining with us as well, too. If, if today, if you are newer here to Westgate Chapel, we would love for you to fill out one of our Connect cards and let us know that you're here. And You can take that Connect card to our, our guest center, which is back in our main lobby, and we have a small gift for you. Um, we also have the Connect cards are useful to update any information or fill out any prayer requests. And, and we love to and feel honored to be able to pray, uh, pray for you and what's going on um, in your life, um, the good, the bad, um, the hardships, the, the joys, and, and to be lifting each other up uh, in, in prayer. So please uh, fill out uh, the Connect card. Put it in the offering bucket uh, later on in the service, and we can be praying for you. You can also do all that uh, online and also through our Westgate um, app. It is available that way. Um, available also are our uh, sermon notes pages. Um, our ushers have that. And also on the way in, if you got, grabbed a communion cup, we'll be celebrating uh, communion a little bit later on um, in the service as well. And... I think that's it. I'd like to kick things over to uh, Pastor Rob, who has a, a video message uh, for us today. Good morning, Westgate. My name is Rob Zerman, and I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate Chapel. I am so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're a guest here, you might be asking the question, why in the world are we meeting in a gymnasium in this huge building? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Earlier this year, we began work on refreshing our worship center. And this week, we've begun the work of demolishing our platform to rebuild it, pulling up all of the old carpet, and we'll also be reupholstering all of our pews, a project that is long overdue. So we'll be in the gymnasium together for the next many weeks as we bring this project to completion. And I should add, if you've ever had a dream of having mauve carpet in your home, have I got a deal for you. All right, no more carpet jokes. We've got a lot of great things that are happening here at the church, and the best way to stay connected is to download our church app where you can find information and set notifications to make sure you don't miss out on a second of it. But let me tell you about just a couple of things this morning. We have an exciting opportunity coming up that perfectly aligns with our passion for serving others. That neighborhood church in North Toledo is inviting all of the kids in their neighborhood to a fantastic sports and creative arts camp during the week of July 17, where they will have the opportunity to hear all about God's love for them. And we get the privilege to be a part of it. Not only is this a wonderful opportunity to spend quality time with the neighborhood kids who need to know Jesus, but it is also a great opportunity to bless and show support to the amazing TNC staff who minister to these children and their families all year long. 
Saying yes to serving at TNC's Kids Camp is a great way to make an impact in the lives of others, but also a great way to allow the Lord to do a work in us as we have the opportunity to learn from Him through the TNC team and the kids themselves. There are a number of ways that you can help. Be a part of the registration team, serve meals, or even help with the sports and creative activities. Let's come together as a church family and make this event taking place from July 17 through 21 an unforgettable experience for everyone involved. So head over to westgatechapel.org slash kidscamp to sign up. We'll see you there. Have you ever checked out Right Now Media? It's an awesome online library that is packed with tons of biblical video resources for all ages. We want to provide you free access to this incredible resource. It's perfect for equipping, inspiring, and encouraging you on your journey of following Jesus. A lot of life groups, Bible studies, and individuals are already using it for their own study and growth. Right Now Media has titles ranging from biblically-based kids programs, youth studies, topical studies, and individual books of the Bible. The best part is that you can sign up for free with Westgate Chapel, and it is so easy. All you need to do is scan the QR code that is on the screen, or go to westgatechapel.org slash rightnowmedia. I wish that I could be with you guys in person today, but I'm away for the next few weeks on vacation with my family and am most definitely joining in online this morning. I'm looking forward to an awesome time of worship together. But before we continue, take a minute, stand, move around the room, and find three people you haven't said hello to yet and welcome them to our service. If you are, uh, if, you, if you're sitting in any of these seats and you have seats in between you, like we would encourage everybody to to scooch in. We are we're gonna be one jam-packed family here today, right? Woo! That's good stuff. So go ahead and scooch in and make make room for others that are still coming in. You're gonna get to know someone new today.
the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the shame. And every knee will bow before the lion. for just a moment let us just to take a take a moment here to center our minds and our hearts on Jesus to put aside the distractions of, of 
what it is to be in this uh, new environment. Maybe sitting by people you don't know or sitting by people you've never seen before. Maybe sitting too close to people. It's a new experience for a lot of us in a lot of ways. This I was corrected it after the first service, but this building was built in 1994, and we've had worship services in there for almost 30 years. So if you've been here since then, this is a huge change for you. You've been here for a long time. Any time since then, this is a big change. So take this moment and just fix your heart and your mind on the Lord and know that He is the same regardless of where we are. He demands our praise, our adoration, no matter where we are, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like. This is our chance as a church to get right with God and to get back to the heart of what what it truly means to worship Him. It's not about us. Not about anything we want, anything we think we need. It's all about God. About bringing Him our very best. Use these next couple moments here just to Center your heart and your mind on Him.
you are so good <laughs> just hearing the voices in this gym poor, poor acoustics and everything <laughs> God your presence is so powerful in this moment hearing your body cry out for you our desperate need for you Lord, I pray above everything you would use however long we're in here and beyond that, of course, but however long we're in here, God, to center us, center us, Father, on the true heart of worship. God, as we're out of our comfort zones, Lord, I pray that people wouldn't take the easy way out and just say, I'm not going to come not going to experience this, but God, even now, what we just got to experience together, singing at the top of our lungs, hearing that sound, your people crying out, God, we don't get to hear, we don't hear that same, it doesn't sound the same, and take these moments, God, these moments that we get to experience that people, that your people would not take the easy way out, and not take shortcuts here, God, but want 
but come and be prepared to experience and expect to worship you, expect you to do great things in our lives, expect you to move. We give that to you. We expect that, Father. We expect you to move because we know that's who you are. We expect you to work in mighty ways, Lord. I pray there's someone here today that needs a mighty work in their life, Lord, that that today would be the day. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. As we continue to worship today, as we take this morning's offering, please take those buckets that are here on the middle aisle here and please pass them. This morning we're going to be continuing in our series in Mark, Mark's Gospel. We'll be in uh, chapter 10 this morning, and if you have your Bible, have that ready, whether it's the printed version, electronic version, if you need one, um, it's on the sermon notes, the passages we'll be going through today, and also we have Bibles in the back, and our ushers can get you one if you need a if you need a, a word of God, and no matter what form we read it in, it still is God's uh, living word um, for us today. Uh, Rob uh, apologized to me uh, last week when he realized that he wasn't going to be here the first Sunday that we're, we're in the gym. And, and he said, I'm so sorry that you have to preach in the gym the first time and kind of be this guinea pig and see how it goes and and." what problems we're going to encounter and, and all that stuff. And I said, uh, no problem, no problem. And then the more that I thought about it these past several days, God reminded me of one of my, I mean, a fond memory. And uh, growing up, we were a part of a, a church plant, uh, my family. And uh, for about seven years, we met every Sunday morning in an elementary school gym. And it was exactly 25 years ago this summer that uh, after returning from like a college summer uh, away, um, learning about the Lord, that I came back at the end of that summer and they allowed me to give a message. And so fond memory for me that 25 years ago, I gave my first ever sermon in a gym. And, And then... 
just kind of struck by God's faithfulness, right? You guys ever encounter God's faithfulness like in your life? And for me, at that moment, uh, I gave a message out of Matthew 28 about going and making disciples. And this morning, we're going to be in Mark 10, really looking at what is that like to be a disciple? How uh, do we walk in the ways of, of God, following after Jesus? And so, just grateful, grateful for the opportunities that we have and being able to see the faithfulness of God. And so my hope and prayer is that uh, as you encounter God um, today, tomorrow, this week, that you would recognize these moments of faithfulness that he has so blessed us with um, uh, each and every day. Uh, so if I could do a couple minute recap of where we are in, in Mark's gospel. So we began, I think, back in, in April looking at Mark. Uh, beginning of Mark, and we look through this first half, like Mark 1 through 8. If you're not too familiar with the gospel of Mark, Mark's 16 chapters long. So the first half, 1 through 8, and we really asked this question and tried to investigate uh, who Jesus is, because Jesus asked his disciples at the end of chapter 8, who do you say that I am? And so we spent time looking at, well, Jesus is, is this, this man, he's, he's God, he's also fully man and fully God, and, and he could do miracles, and he can control the weather, and he can heal people, and he can teach, and he can cast out demons, and he can uh, handle any confrontation with the religious leaders, and he just loves, right? And so uh, then in that, at chapter 8, he asked the disciples, well, who do you say I am? And Peter, most famously, uh, the one with the loud mouth, says, well, you are the Messiah. And so his response was, well, shh, don't tell anybody about that yet. But so we, we come to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, and for the Jew in that time, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And Messiah that was to come was one that was going to be one that's in power and going to overthrow any form of opposition, any form of government, specifically the, the, the Roman government. And so that's the uh, Messiah they were looking ahead to. And as we began to look last week at chapter 9, and as we'll continue to go uh, through the end of chapter 16, we see that Jesus is a Messiah also called a suffering servant. That Jesus is the Messiah that comes in a form different than what was anticipated. And so if we are to follow in the steps of our Messiah, we have to really ask, what does that mean to follow in the footsteps of a suffering servant? And so my hope is that today, as we look at Mark 10, that, yeah, we'll talk about servanthood, but really at the heart of it, what does it mean to have a heart that's a servant heart and a mind that's the mind of a servant and hands that are the hands of, of a servant? Because when we look back at Mark 8, what Jesus says, and he calls to everyone, he calls loudly to his disciples and to the crowd. This is what he says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, 
and follow me. So Jesus gives three requirements of being a disciple. It's to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and follow him. And then he spends, he's going to spend these last eight chapters giving us more material of what does that look like. And today it is through servanthood, an attitude and the heart of a person that follows Jesus is one that denies themselves, picks up their cross, and follows after him. So let's look at Mark chapter 10, and we'll be looking at uh, verses 32 through 45. So Mark 10, 32 through uh, 45, and we'll take little chunks at, at a time. It begins in verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So for the first snapshot of this passage, Jesus for the first eight chapters has been up in Galilee. It's in northern Israel. Even in chapter 8, he went further north into Caesarea Philippi. And between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea down here is the Jordan River. He spent most of this time, everything up here. And then in chapter 9, he moves down and we read he goes across to the east side of the Jordan. And then at this moment, he kind of sets his eyes and his focus to Jerusalem. And he's not there yet, but then he starts to head that direction. He says they were on their way to Jerusalem. Verse 46, we read that then he gets to uh, Jericho. And then in chapter 11, he enters into Jerusalem, which we commonly think of as the triumphal entry. So he's not into Jerusalem yet, but his eyes are focused in that direction, heading that way. And we read that the disciples, they're astonished. Other versions might have amazed. So they're, Jesus is leading the way, and they're right along with him, like following in his steps. And they have this understanding, you're the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem, and the, the Messiah is going to take care of business. So you can imagine, they're like, here we go, let's do this. We got it, let's go. So they're pumped up. Then we read the crowds then following didn't have the same quite of zeal. They, we read that they were afraid. Most likely because of, if it doesn't go well, what's going to happen? Rome is going to send a message in which that's true, and it happens later. So some were following, and disciples are excited, the crowd's following, and they're not ready yet to wave their palms and jump right in. They have a little bit of fear. Jesus takes the 12 aside, and he tells them what's going to happen to him. Now, this is the third time. In chapter 8, after he says, you know, I'm the Messiah, then he says, this is how, what's going to happen to me as the Messiah. I'm going to die. 
Chapter 9, he says it again, a second time. And then here in chapter 10, this is the third time, the third prediction that he says, I am going to die, and this is how it's going to happen. He's very specific. This is the most specific ones. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, he says. He says, well, guess what? They're, They're going to condemn him to death. They're going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to flog him, and then they're going to kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So I think the first thing for us as we navigate through this passage and as as we are disciples and we are entrusting ourselves to Jesus, that Jesus is not surprised. God is still in control. God is still sovereign. Jesus is not surprised. God is still sovereign of what's going to happen. He walks and he knows and he tells them this is what's going to happen. It's not hidden from him. We can find this in other places in scripture, other times in the gospels where Jesus just knows. He knows the thoughts, right? He knows what's going to happen. But he knows that this has been the plan from the very beginning. And he knows it. And he's been a part of it. And so as we are following in these steps of Jesus, as we are disciples, we know that we love and we worship and we praise a Lord and Savior that knows everything that's going to happen. Nothing is surprised. Nothing is hidden from our God. No matter what we are going through, no matter what you are going through, the joys and the sorrows, the good times and the bad times, he sees it all, he knows it all, nothing is hidden. And that God is also in control of it. He is sovereign of it. He has authority over it. Sometimes that can cause us a little bit of angst when we don't agree with what's going on. This is what we find and know to be the truth of who God is. So as we get to this point of having a heart of uh, of service and a servant's heart, we understand that it begins in a trusting relationship. And we say, God, I trust you with all that I have. I don't know what the future holds. I know that you do. But I'm willing to follow, willing to trust. Our God is good and he's on the throne. Then in verse 35 through 38. Then... James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Yeah. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? It's an interesting request. The first time I read this, I just put a question mark right next to it and said, uh, how dare they? Can you imagine going to Jesus? Can you just do whatever I want you to do? That's a challenge in our discipleship as well if we claim to tell God, do exactly what I want you to do. 
We actually want to make God in our own image, not us in his. We get a little bit of insight from Mark 9, where right after Jesus predicts, okay, the first time in chapter 8, second time he predicts his death in chapter 10, 8, 9, and then 10, what we just read. In chapter 9, once he says this, there's a, an argument amongst the disciples. And, and it says, Mark records, they were arguing which of them was the greatest. So we know this isn't a new problem. We know what's kind of in the real heart or the motivation of in the disciples. And so we see that they, James and John feel pretty good about themselves. They feel pretty good about their position. At times, Jesus has sent out 72 to go. And then James and John are part of the, the 12, you know, the, the, this intimate group of 12. And then James and John are even a part of this you know, triumvirate, maybe, of, of three, of Peter, James, and John, where Jesus can call them aside. They're kind of like the really, really, really cool kids that Jesus calls out. And, and like last week, we talked about the transfiguration. It was those three that got to go up on to the mountain of transfiguration uh, with Jesus. And they got to see uh, Jesus and Moses and Elijah and experience all that. So, I mean, out of that, they might feel be, be feeling pretty good about their place, but still they want to, like, stake a claim on it. So they ask, Jesus, can you do anything we ask? He's like, well, what would you like? And make us number one and number two, right, right next to you. When you go to Jerusalem, we're heading that way. We want to be like right here and right here. We want to be, we know we're not the guy, but we want to, we want to be right next to the guy, right? And for all of us, we might get a sense here of what's really motivating them what motivation do they have? Whose agenda are they promoting? What kingdom are they trying to serve? So when it gets to our own discipleship, we're following after Jesus. When James and John, they are there and they want to be great, do we ever struggle with the same thing? Do we ever struggle with the same type of motivations? Maybe, we're like, hey, we're not James and John here, but how often do we go around, maybe underneath our shirts, we wear a shirt that says, it's all about me. So I ask you this question, kind of like uh, putting a mirror in our faces. Do we see ourselves accurately? Do we see ourselves accurately? I don't know if James and John really saw their requests or saw themselves accurately. But do we view ourselves, think of ourselves higher than what we ought and have elements of pride or arrogance? Our own desires to be known, to be seen, to have a bunch of likes after a picture that we post on Facebook because somehow that determines our value or worth greater than if there's no likes after it. 
what is our true motivations? It's hard. This is a hard question. If I could tell you a, I'm not immune to it. At times I do struggle with pride and, and arrogance. I do walk away from a conversation wanting to know if that person was impressed. About 15 years ago, I got to go on a trip uh, to Kenya. And um, it was just like a short-term trip. Uh, Got to uh, see uh, some sights over there, meet some amazing people. And uh, one of the days we ran into uh, this group of Kenyan distance runners. Do you know anything about Kenyan distance runners? They're pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, the Kenyan, and the ones that we, specifically that we met had either A, already been in the Olympics and won like medals, or B, were like in process of training again, or for the first time, they were, like, these were like the best of the best, and somehow we got to, to meet them. And the people that I were with and uh, some of the, the kids that we were with were like, yes, these are the superstars, and they want their pictures taken, and they want to be next to them. And because, you know, if we can't be the person, we want to be next or close to the person. And I got thinking to myself, I wonder if I could do that. I had already ran one marathon the previous year. Did okay. Came back from my experience being super inspired by my new Kenyan friends to go home and see, hey, the next Olympiads in three years. (laughs) Yeah, let's be realistic. I might not make the team. (laughs) But what if I could at least, you know, qualify to try, like, for the Olympic trials? For some of you, especially my wife, you're laughing. And so, like, I came home with a, a, a focus and a shift then of maybe this could be a goal, you know, f- for me, legitimately, okay? Yeah. Do, do we see ourselves accurately? <laughs> and so, like, I, I would do some training and do some running. I, I did the research on, okay, how fast do I need to be able to run? What's the time first? Well, you, you have to run a marathon to qualify, before getting to the Olympic trial qualification. So I had to figure out what those times were, where could I run that, what would be a, a course that would be favorable for me. And eventually I realized, well, I need more resources to do, make, do this and make this happen. And so what would be a powerhouse that would be able to support and help me make this dream become a reality? So I contacted my friends at Nike. I don't have friends at Nike, but I was hoping they would be uh, friends at Nike. So I wrote a letter to Nike I explained to them my whole experience, but you don't understand. I ran one marathon before. I met some Kenyans. Therefore, I should be able to do it. And I'm going to plan to run an, another one. And so I, I wrote a letter, and even the best part, I told them, I'm pitching this to them in, in the letter. I said, do, do you understand what my last name is? Just. Do you understand what your campaign slogan is? Just do it. How cool would it be 
they have some kind of commercial, me running out in the cornfields, and then just do it. I'm not kidding. Nike was kind enough to send me a letter back. Hey, we encourage you and you're running, but I think we're good right now with the people that we have. Do we see ourselves accurately? In all seriousness, right? Some of us maybe have a tendency to sit on this side of the scale where, man, we're really good, you know, you're blessed to have me around type of a attitude. And we need to surrender that to the Lord. On the other side of the pendulum, I, I think we also have, man, I am just worthless. I don't do anything right. Do I really matter? Does anybody really care for me? And we have this whole range of where we can sit and how do we see ourselves. I think where we need to do is we look at God's word to really find our identity and who we are, that yeah, we are made in the image of God. Yeah, we are sons and daughters. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are heirs. We are made fearfully and wonderfully. It's all based on Jesus. And so in our walk, in the heart, in our mindset, and in the condition of our hearts, As we walk as disciples, how do we view ourselves? How do you view yourself? I think one of the most powerful questions to ask someone that you probably know and trust, if you really want like a discipleship question that gets in there to expose and chisel out some of the rough parts, that the old self that we need to like you know, that Paul writes about we need to throw off those old clothes. You ask someone, how do you honestly experience me? Do you have the guts to ask someone that question? If we are really open to the transforming work of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, Letting, helping us let go of certain strongholds of pride or arrogance or falsehood and lies to really live in the truth. These are questions that we need to ask and, and dig into. They're hard, they're challenging. How do we view ourselves? As we move through, again, verse 39 Jesus, remember, asked, can you do this? Their response, James and John, verse 39, they say, we can. Of course they can, right? They answered, Jesus said to them, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. 
The cup and the baptism are representative of the suffering and the path of, of Jesus. We know from Scripture that the cup of God's wrath is poured out upon Christ. That this judgment that is intended for us, Christ then drinks and receives on the cross. And his path, his baptism, is that to the cross and that journey. And then he tells James and John, well, you think you can. Well, guess what? You, you actually will. You will. Because following Jesus will entail hardship and suffering. Hardship and suffering has a tendency to, again, show us who we really are, helps us when we don't ask the question of how do we view ourselves accurately. The hardship and suffering then has a way of exposing and showing us what's really there, the character that's really there. And, and, and for all of us hearing about hardship and suffering, again, there is a whole spectrum of that. As disciples of Jesus, what that means for all of us. For some, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted and killed and beaten. Churches being burned all over the world in certain places because of their faith. They are still a body of Christ, and so we should still feel that. That is still a piece of hardship and suffering. And then for some of us individually, we still are experiencing hardship and suffering. But we know from the very beginning, God sees it all. He knows about it all. He is working in it all. And it's according to his plan and purpose. But we do engage and have hardship and suffering. I don't know if any of us would actually sign up and choose for that. Willingly. But that also has a way of really revealing what's going on in our head, our motivations, our heart, the condition of our heart, the softness of it, or hardness of the heart. So when we pick up our cross, deny ourselves, we follow Jesus, we will encounter hardship and suffering. And we see later on what that means for James and what that means for John. You know, they're asking this and Jesus is saying this to them before everything that happened on the cross and before the resurrection and before the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And um, once that happens, things change for them. And then they really get to experience that. James in Acts 12 gets killed for his faith. John, we know he writes about suffering and he gets exiled. Peter writes about suffering Paul writes about hardship and suffering and says, if any of you wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will encounter persecution, hardship, and suffering. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. For disciples, we should not be surprised or shocked when we, we encounter that. Verse 41, 
41 through 44, you knew this was going to happen. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So these other ten, they hear about it, and they're angry, they are upset. They use this word indignant. Sorry, I forgot how to pronounce it. It's not one of my normal vocabulary words. And from what I've read in the past several weeks is they weren't really upset that James and John asked the question. They were more upset because they asked it first. where they wanted to be. And you imagine them start to argue and bicker back and forth. And Jesus says, hey, time out. He called them together. You guys know the rulers, they love to have these places of power and authority and rule over you and lord it over you. And then he says, not so with you. Because being a part of the kingdom of God, following Jesus as Lord and Savior, picking up your cross, denying yourself, following after him, means that how we live needs to be different than what we experience in the world. You are to be different. Not so with you. Following Jesus as a disciple is the opposite of following the ways of the world. Disciples of the world crave and seek power, crave and seek recognition, crave and seek prestige. Disciples of the world want to be great and have their focus and attention on them. Disciples of Jesus repeat what John the Baptist says. He must be, become greater. I must become less. As Christ followers in the world walking around, we should be signal fires, not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to Jesus. So we check our heads, check our hearts, check our hands. What should they be like? What should the attitude of our hearts be? The condition of our minds? Because if we're not careful, if we're not asking ourselves these questions, if we're not having other people refine us and challenge us and check, hey, how are you doing? One of my early friends uh, almost two decades ago said to me, what Jesus really says is you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. We have to check ourselves, our motivations, our actions, our motives. Because the world, the air that we breathe, the culture that we're in, promotes a completely different gospel. 
a completely different agenda. And so if we think that we can just go without having God's truth and living in it and, 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 being, and eating, eating this word daily, we are going to be led astray. Maybe not quickly, but slowly, bit by bit. Following Jesus as a disciple is the opposite of following the ways of the world. And so what should our hearts and mind and hands be like to be a servant? Jesus says to be great is to be a servant. To be first is to be a slave of all. To reject servanthood, to reject a heart that is willing to be a servant is to say that we reject living and being in the kingdom of God. It's the opposite. The world is about elevating themselves, but Christ's followers are to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow after him. And this isn't about coming to church once a week. This isn't about serving in the church in some capacity, in one way, shape, or form. These are all outward expressions of what God has done internally of giving us a heart of a servant. It really is who we are when no one else is looking. It really is what is our heart when we're with our neighbors, when we're in our schools, when we're in our workplaces, when we're at the store, when we're driving on the road and there's construction. Do we have a heart and mind of the world or a heart and mind of our servant, Jesus? Jesus isn't just teaching a principle but he is revealing how he also chose to live his life. Final verse of our passage, Mark 10, 45. says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, uh, uh, Old Testament, Daniel 7 term, Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think as we hear having a heart of a servant, having a heart of a servant, there might be somewhat of a temptation that the more I serve, the more I can say yes and serve in one place, shape, or form, that we have this idea that serving somehow makes us right with God. This little bit acts of work. And so lest we fall into that, Jesus then really lays it out here came to serve and to give his life. Jesus gives his life willingly. He is not coerced or forced. This is what he chooses to do. He gives his life as a ransom for many. And ransom, this is a big theological term. But what it really, Jesus is really saying, he's willingly, he's choosing to serve, he is choosing to give, and he gives of himself as a ransom. 
because we have all wronged God. We love and serve a righteous God, and we know that we're not. But Jesus has made a way through his life, through his death, through his sacrifice. The ransom is actually the term debt. It's not canceled. It's not forgotten. It has been paid for sacrificially. He took what was upon us upon himself. This passage mirrors Isaiah 53, the song of the servant. And that passage mentions like three, four, five times how the iniquities, the sins, transgressions, whatever terms we want to use, has been laid upon him. Ours has been put on him. So that's the Lord that we love, the Lord that we serve, the Lord that we praise. So we are going to close with this song called Remembrance. And it really is just an invitation to remember the example of what Jesus has done. Following that, we'll take communion together. And so if you still need a communion cup, let's raise your hand up. Our ushers will, will be around. Some over here. Some up front here too. But as we sing, I would encourage you, maybe you just need to also sit and ask the Lord to work in your heart, in your mind. What is the Holy Spirit impressing upon you? Is there a heart or an attitude that's something that you need to confess? Have you been trying to elevate yourself? sing, let's surrender uh, to the Lord, our loving Savior. Amen.
betrayed, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. After giving thanks, he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. After supper, he took the cup, giving thanks. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for forgiveness of sins. 
do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Jesus, we desire to follow you all of our days. Lord, we want to surrender to you our our hearts this morning, our heads, our hands, whatever it is, God, we surrender all to you. God, if we've ever lose our way, that you would bring us back. We thank you for the reminder of communion, this covenant, this promise that you have made with us. into a, a world that in our country we, we do celebrate. We celebrate an Independence Day and sacrifices that have been made and we recognize that and honor that. And Jesus, this morning though, we also claim a Dependence Day upon you. We can't do anything apart from you. So move us, shake us, shift us, transform us. Each and every day we surrender to you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. As we close our worship this morning, if you like to receive any prayer, uh, we have uh, Larissa and John be here probably shortly, Uh, want to pray, want to pray for you, have joy in praying for you, and pray for you up here, or you can also go to our our prayer room, if you're online, you can share a prayer request um, that way as well. Um, Look forward to worshiping with you again next Sunday here in in this space, where God is still good. Please go with the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in his peace. Amen.